boom. Yep, 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 boom. Pick it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> Come on, DJ. <laughs> God, it's so good to be back. Hello, ladies season and gentlemen. Six. Yeah, season six. Woo-hoo. And if you guys thought we were going to the 70s, you're wrong. Yeah, we 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 want to take a little time to, you know, catch up on some other stuff, especially before moving too far forward. Yeah, some artists that we skipped uh, in previous seasons that we really just wanted to make sure we got. Yeah, there's, I mean, obviously we're never going to get everybody, but, you know, we had to actually skip over quite a few amazing artists on the pursuit of even this many episodes, which we're starting to get the... Uh, you know, a fairly decent amount here. Yeah, and we're going to catch a few of those with this season, too. Yeah, I mean, let's hope that we catch a, a whole bunch of them, and hopefully the best ones. And we're opening up with a pretty fancy fella here. I don't know a whole lot about him myself, but what little I saw made me excited for this episode. Today's episode is about a fella named Sam Cook. Now, Cook would sometimes be called the King of Soul. You know, you got James Brown, the godfather of soul. Yeah, this guy's the King of Soul. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and so Sam Cook was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi on January 22nd, 1931. And his last name was spelled C-O-O-K. And I guess he would add the E later because he thought it would give him good luck or something, you know. Wait, for real? Like he thought the E would bring him good luck? That's what I read. All right, well, sure, the E. Let's see how this works out for him. <laughs> okay, I mean, it, so far it's pretty good. I mean, we're talking about him today. We'll see how the end of the episode goes, I guess. <laughs> and so he was the son of Reverend Charles Cook Sr., a Baptist minister, and Annie Mae Cook. Oh, yeah. Which just sounds like she does a lot of the cooking around the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, besides the last name, I mean, there's, yeah. I just kind of love how the iconography of, like, the names brings such a mental image. Just you, you hear them and you immediately think of, like, the, the most classic person of the era. And so he was the fifth of eight children. He had four brothers and three sisters. <laughs> Willie, Charles Jr., L.C., David, Mary, Hattie, and Agnes. Did you say L.C.? L.C. <laughs> I have no idea what that stands for, they're, but it's They were LC. getting lazy. That's what happens when you have that many kids. <laughs> well, in fact, L.C., who was the youngest brother, will later become a member of the doo-wop band Johnny Keys and the Magnificence. I haven't heard of him, but that's something. Yeah, no, I mean, doo-wop runs in the family, I guess. And so in 1933, the family would move to Chicago, Illinois, where Reverend Charles would quickly establish himself as a major figure in the religious community. Sam Cooke, you know, he'd attend Doolittle Elementary School and later Wendell Phillips Academy High School, which is actually the same school that Nat King Cole had attended. Oh, shit. Well, that's that's some credibility right off the bat there. Those schools probably have Nat King Cole and Sam Cook attended here or something. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised it's not Nat King Cole High School already or something. 
And so, when he was growing up, Sam and his brother Charles Jr., Elsie, and sisters Mary and Hattie performed as a gospel group, The Singing Children. The Singing Children? That's such a good name. I'm legitimately impressed with the originality of it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I want to say he was about nine years old when this started, so very original. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I guess it's, it's just about on the same angle as, like, the Jackson 5, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, of course, his father being a reverend, he was basically confined to singing gospel music. Yeah, of course. But he was aware of, you know, the popular music of the time, like the band The Ink Spots that ha- we have mentioned before. Oh, yeah. And at the age of 15, he would become the lead singer of the teenage gospel group, the Highway QCs. The Highway QCs? Yeah, I don't know what QC stands for. Quality control? (laughs) (laughs) Close quarters? I imagine it's some sort of religious reference as they were, you know, a gospel singer. Uh, But I couldn't figure out what it stood for. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, this group was formed in 1945 at Chicago's Highway Baptist Church, and the members would include Cook, Cradell, Copeland, and two pairs of brothers, Marvin and Charles Jones, and Curtis and Lee Richardson. But the crazy thing about this band is they would remain active for over 70 years. Wait, what? Yeah. So they, you know, they just switch members out and switch members out as yeah. people left. Why? Uh, it, dude, fucking doo-wop, man. They always do that. Yeah, doo-wop, vocal groups, whatever. It's <laughs> yeah, like, it's all these like get... <laughs> straight vocal groups. But this group would actually launch the careers of several secular stars, including Lou Rawls, Johnny Taylor, and, of course, Sam Cooke, who Hell we're talking yeah. about. Hell yeah. Notice I put an emphasis on secular there. <laughs> But Sam Cooke would grow to idolize and start to emulate the sound of this group called the Soul Stirrers, whose lead singer, R.H. Harrison, apparently had a three-octave range, and, you know, it just made him a gospel star. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's always impressive to see those people with, like, extreme vocal talent, you know, those, like, high-octave range people. And the Soul Stirrers, another one of those vocal group bands where they'd have a nice long career, it would span over 80 years. Wait, that that the other band would go eighty years? Yeah, they just had to beat them out a little bit. Huh? <laughs> just well, they started before them. Oh, there we go. There must have been like a big duop, like apocalypse that we don't do du- duopocalypse, <laughs> duopolix, <laughs> duopolypse. Yeah, no, whatever one. I'm gonna stick with that for what uh, those weird pronunciations you just came up with there. You know, like it. <laughs> you could choose. I don't mind. We'll go with duopolips. <laughs> That's that wasn't even one of the ones. So, but okay, <laughs> some sort of eclipse where the duop people block out the sun or the moon, whatever. I don't know, man. And so, in late 1950, R. H. Harris would actually quit the Soulsters, citing dissatisfaction with what he viewed as crookedness of the business and immoral behavior by musicians he saw on the gospel highway. Oh shit. Yeah, so pretty much musicians doing musician stuff while they're on tour, and he's like, oh, my God, this is an affront to God. (laughs) People are having sex. (gasps) I can't believe they're doing it again. And so Harris would briefly be replaced on lead by a man named Paul Foster. But at some point, Sam Cooke was approached by Roy Crane, the manager of the Soulsters, to replace his idol. Oh, the band that he had started out liking so much, he actually got to uh, replace them? Yep, he that's replaced fucking, the lead or singer. replaced the lead singer. That's fucking really cool. That's like, that's like growing up to the big leagues like directly. 
So, and the cool thing about the Solsters is I get to have a throwback to a name we haven't heard in a while. Oh, really? So, before Sam's time in 1936, Alan Lomax recorded the Solsters for the Library of Congress. Oh, man. we See, we immediately go back to this era, and the first thing we do is mention Alan Lomax. <laughs> we almost went all, we went a whole season without mentioning him. A couple once. of seasons, yeah, really. Yeah, a couple of seasons, but our old man Alan Lomax is back. Yeah, I missed Alan Lomax. Yeah, we had to bring him back. And so Cook would go on to be the lead singer of the Solsters. And his first major hit with them would be Jesus Gave Me Water. Be followed up with songs like How Far Am I From Canaan, Peace in the Valley, One More River, Jesus Paid the Debt, all sorts of songs about Jesus. All these fan- yeah, all these fantastic uh, gospel songs that I totally have a lot of ref- frame of reference <laughs> to. But Sam Cook was often credited with bringing gospel music to the attention of a younger crowd, mainly girls who would rush the stage when the Solsters hit the stage. Oh, wow. That's yeah. not allowed in gospel. That should that right there might get you <laughs> shut down. And so let's get to our first dude. Check out this song. <laughs> oh, yeah, let's do it. We got the Solsters, Peace in the Valley, and One More River. Yeah, these both these songs are fantastic. We started out with those when we uh, were, were getting ready this evening. In 1953, he'd get married for the first time to a singer-dancer named Dolores Elizabeth Milligan Cook. (laughs) That's a fucking name right there. (laughs) I mean, let's just add one more when she gets married instead of dropping something, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I always love the hyphenated names when they don't go together well and it just makes it terrible. (laughs) But she would go by a pretty kick-ass stage name. D.D. Mohawk. D.D. Mohawk? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, that that makes up for the weird-ass birth name. (laughs) But here's the thing. I did mention just a little bit ago that Cook, you know, kind of was attracting a lot of attention with the female audience, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was kind of gospel's, you know, first sex symbol. (laughs) Yeah, gospel's first sex symbol. I'm I'm following you. Continuing. Yeah, he'd sleep around. Oh my god! Supposedly he had orgies. <laughs> okay, okay, keep going. And then you know, at some point, he'd go back to his wife. Oh, oh, oh infidelity too. That's so good. Oh, oh yeah, my so god. so Christian like, right? Oh fuck. Well, in fact, while he was in the Solster, supposedly he had three girls pregnant at the same time. Oh my God, he's a fuck! It's supposed to be a gospel group. <laughs> he's supposed to be a Christian. Dude. <laughs> no one we've covered besides one man has ever had three women pregnant at one time. <laughs> and that man literally is screaming Jay Hawkins, the man who had a legendary amount of children. He averaged 1.3 children a year, and the only person that w- that he was able to beat him is Sam Cooke, a gospel singer. Well, we'll see. Holy shit. I mean, I guess it's a great way to trick them women into the sack, huh? This is what God wants. Oh, I don't I don't know. I don't know, baby. I've never done this before. I'm a gospel singer. <laughs> As you open your closet, it's got like whips and chains. <laughs> this is only going to hurt at first. <laughs> I've never done this before. As they walk into the orgy. <laughs> God needs you to witness this. Yeah, exactly. Get down. On, never mind. I'm not. No, no. <laughs> and Pat was about to take it too far. 
I will anoint you. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> you, dude. Uh, I don't want to hear about any of the dirty <laughs> baptisms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck my life, dude. Seriously, dude. Okay, I'm glad. I, I see why you were like, oh, dude, I'm, we missed some that I want to go back to. <laughs> All, right. All right, keep going. You know, and even while he was with the Solsters, Sam was starting to get more interested in the secular forms of music. Probably thought he could find more loose women there or something. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. I, yeah, I mean, I guess. Either that or there was more money in it. Yeah, there's definitely more money and loose women. So it's a kind of a win-win for him at that point. And plus, you know, honestly, if you're having orgies, eventually, like, the Christian crowd is going to be like, <clears throat> And so for specialty label, the label that recorded the Stirs music, he ended up recording a song in 1956 called Lovable, but he decided to credit his name with Dale Cook in- instead of his own. Why? He just want- he didn't like Sam anymore? He wanted to be Dale? Uh, well... Recording secular music at the time for him, you know, especially with his dad being oh, a okay. reverend. Yeah. I guess that makes sense if he's trying to cover it up. Yep. So, you know, he didn't really want anybody to know that he was venturing into quote unquote secular music. Dude, he was just having fucking orgies, man. What the hell does it matter? Orgies for God, okay? <laughs> this is some inconsistent <laughs> behavior. I don't want my dad to find out that I'm making music not about Jesus. But, oh, I'm also going to have a fucking orgy while I'm married or whatever. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus, indeed. Well, surprisingly, no one was fooled by his ruse. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. He literally had to go still do it. Art Roop, the head of specialty records, decided to give Cook his blessing to, you know, record secular music under his real name, but was unhappy about the type of music Sam and his producer Bumps Blackwell were making. Bumps Blackwell? Yeah, I really want to know the the meaning behind that name. Is he like Scrapper Blackwell's brother or something? (laughs) This is possible. (laughs) Bumps Blackwell. That's such a... Yeah, that man makes some sexy music. Oh my God, Scrapper Blackwell and Bumps Blackwell, because... Scrapper was a scrapper, and Bumps took the bumps. Oh, <laughs> oh. That's weird. That's weird. Either way, like I can imagine the type of music that a man named Bumps would make. Well, the music that I played you tonight. <laughs> yeah. Very romantic music, might I add. It is It is quite sexy. We turned, on, uh, turned down the lights. We put on some candles. Everything was uh, quite fantastic. Yeah, part of the reason why he was unhappy about it is he really thought that fans of the Soulsters would be offended that their lead singer was, you know, not singing gospel music. Gasp. Gaspel music. You know, supposedly he didn't think that his voice would really make a dent in pop music. Could just, you know, him being a little jealous or something. I don't know. Yeah, that would make us make sense. And I mean, I, I don't know. There's always some weird thing about, like, you know, gospel people making normal music and normal people making gospel music. Somebody's always offended by it. Yeah. I mean, if you make gospel music, the non-Christians are going to be offended. You make secular music. I mean, most people won't be offended by it. <laughs> yeah. But Roop would walk into a recording session that Cook was doing at one point, and he did not like it. An argument would occur between Roop and Blackwell, and Cook and Blackwell left the label. And Cook ended up signing to Keen Records in 1957. 
I wonder what he was doing when he walked in. Like, could you imagine? He's probably like, yeah, girl, I want to take all your clothes off or whatever. Ooh, wow, wow. <laughs> take your clothes off. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this isn't a front. Get out. <laughs> well, with Keen, he would end up releasing a single called You Send Me. You know, this would be his first million seller. Oh, yeah? And, yeah, you know, he'd kind of have a blend of, like, gospel, pop, R&B. That would earn him the title of the man who invented soul. Oh, that's a cool title. Yeah, this would spend 26 weeks rising to number one in both the pop and R&B markets, spending six weeks on the Billboard R&B chart and three weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 pop chart at number one. Oh, shit. That's actually kind of like quite a leap from doing some gospel music to that. Oh, yeah. I, he went from being really popular to like being famous all across America. Yeah, exactly. Popular in a small uh, subgenre to being actually like famous. And our next do check out this song is, of course, both those songs, Lovable and You Send Me. In 1958, Sam and his wife would get divorced. Oh, uh, yeah, because he's having orgies and shit. And, <laughs> I know. So shocking. And, Gasp. And recording non secular music while having orgies. But. That same year, he'd end up getting married to his second wife. Yay! This one probably liked orgies more than the first one, I would assume. <laughs> and her name was Barbara Campbell. A much better name to pronounce. Yeah, Barbara Campbell is a fantastically easy name to com- or pronounce compared to the other one. <laughs> and during their marriage, they'd end up having three children. Linda, Tracy, and Vincent, who, when he was 18 months old, would end up drowning in the family swimming pool. Oh, come on. That's fucking super sad. Like, those sort of, like, home accidents or accidents are just so fucking, like, traumatic. Yeah, it it's probably one of those things, too, where they each blame the other, and it's just an unfortunate accident. Well, everyone blames themselves, too. Like, I don't know. That shit's fucked up. That's, that's just never cool. And Dolores, his first wife, the next year would die in an automobile accident. And although they were divorced, he would end up paying for her funeral. Uh, Well, that's still sad. Like, I mean, especially since she left you because you're a fucking orgy-having weirdo, and then she goes and dies. (laughs) You're like, oh. But all throughout these tragedies through his life, he continued to record for Keen. He'd have songs like When You Love For Me, Everybody Likes To Cha-Cha-Cha, Only 16, a little uh, tuck of the collar there. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa! Is it, is it only sixteen's the name of the song. Yeah, <laughs> wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next song that I'd like to introduce is "I'm Calling the FBI." <laughs> <laughs> Remember, this was the late fifties. Different rules, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Of course, different rules. Uh huh. Nine one one. Beep boop boop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and then he'd also record a song called Wonderful World. You know, the one about how he sucks at school and, you know. How life sucks. (laughs) (laughs) No, what a wonderful world it would be if he was with her. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. And these are the last songs he'd do for Keen before moving to RCA in 1960. And with this label, he'd do, you know, songs like Chain Gang. Which is a fucking jam. Oh, yeah. This is probably my favorite song that he does. I've had it stuck in my head since doing the research. Yeah, no, as soon as you played it for me earlier today, I was even just walking to the fridge to get another drink, and I was like, I got the chain gang stuck this in my head. This is the sound of the chain gang. 
<laughs> See, I kept myself back, guys. I didn't <laughs> sing. Today, you guys can remember that Ian was the one that sang. You got a little treat from me. <laughs> He'd also do other songs like Cupid and, you know, trying to get in front of the new dance craze, The Twist. He did Twist in the Night Away. He'd also do a song called Bring It On Home to Me, you know. Another sex song. Bring, oh, uh, yeah. bring it on home to me. Come on. Bring man. it on home to me. And by that, I mean that booty. So this gets me to my next dude. Check out the song. When your love for me, wonderful world chain gang and twist in the night away. Fuck. Yeah, absolutely. Double fuck. Yeah. To all of those songs. I think those are probably the best songs of the evening. Oh, yeah. In the early 1960s, Cook was also working as a record producer on his own independent label. SAR, S-A-R. SAR, that's it? Yep. Well, that's it's an easy to pronounce and simple label name, I guess. And he would release songs like Smooth Me by The Sims Twins and Rome Wasn't Built in a Day by Johnny Taylor. I don't know these songs, but, you know, I mean, he's releasing his own music. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, th- that's all you can really do is make that nice forward progress. In 1963, he'd release an album called Night Beat. It'd be critically acclaimed. I didn't have time to check out the whole thing, but there's some jams on it. Fuck yeah. For this next dude, check out this song. Let's check out the number one jam on this. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Oh, yes. So, so hold on. Is this nobody knows the trouble I've seen like that song that the bird sings in Lion King? So, yeah, it is basic, Is that basic same song. It's kind of an old African-American spiritual song that would originate during the period of slavery but was not published until 1867. Oh, okay, so it's more of a traditional then. Yeah, I mean, there would be a lot of people to cover this, like Marian Anderson, Lena Horne, Louis Armstrong, Harry James, of course, Sam Cooke. Fuck yeah, dude, that is that is super awesome. A little fun fact there. Yeah, so for all you Lion King fanboys out here, we got a, we got a shout out for you. <laughs> for the Lion King fandom. <laughs> all you Disney fanboys out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or girls. Yeah. <laughs> fan, fan people. <laughs> fan people. It just sounds like people who are really enthusiastic. Dude, I said fandom. Stop it, Ian. God damn it. Now you're mincing it to a tiny little piece. <laughs> I'm just saying, fan people sounds like people are really enthusiastic about fans. Or people made of fans. Yeah, like the fan people. The fan people are <laughs> Not coming. the fan people. No! Uh, anything but them. <laughs> I just see like 50 foot tall, like like humanoid creatures walking over the horizon with like fans for faces and hands. <laughs> just like, Mong. I guess they're more like blades because they're not really scary with their fans because then they're just blowing air at you. <laughs> we will make you cool during the hot times. Ah! It's really windy if we all get together. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make us blow your house down. <laughs> oh, no, a brick house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a new twisted version of the three little pigs. Yeah. Ah! I wish only if there was some folklore tale that would have told us this would happen. <laughs> So on December 11th, 1964, Sam Cook would go vacationing in Los Angeles, California. He'd check into a motel room with a woman named Eliza Boyer as Mr. and Mrs. Cook. Oh, shit. And here's where there's some conflicting stories. I've got the accepted one here in front of me. 
apparently he tried to rape her. After they checked into a hotel while as man and wife? Yeah. She would flee. There'd be some confusion, and Sam would end up pounding on the motel manager's door, eventually breaking in on the 55-year-old manager, Bertha Franklin. She would shoot him three times with a twenty-two revolver, and he was dead when the police arrived on scene. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. So this... So he would attempt to rape her, she would run away, and then he would go to the manager's office and pound her door down. Yeah, apparently. And then once he pounded the door down, the manager shot him three times with a twenty-two, With a twenty-two, And killed him. And killed him. Holy shit, dude. Just stick your orgies, man. (laughs) So I don't know if he was drunk or on drugs or... If this whole thing is made up, but this is the accepted story of what happened. Well, accepted <laughs> for some people anyway. I mean, in reality, if, if we're if we're being realistic about it, it sounds like they, they checked in for some consensual stuff, and then at some point it turned bad. I, I'm guessing, you know, maybe she wasn't as sexually experienced as him, and he wanted to take it too far or something. Yeah, or he was, yeah, just... Dude, dude was having orgies almost a decade before this. He was he was ready to do some weird stuff, and she was probably like, "You're in the gospel." Oh my god! Like, now this is when he was doing secular stuff. So oh yeah, so I guess it wouldn't even you don't even have that excuse. You just I don't know. It, it draws me back to that fucking song. She's only sixteen. Fuck you, bro. <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like he was being a creep, and then something happened. And we don't know the exact story, but he definitely paid a terrible price for being a creep that night. Yeah, well, I mean, regardless of what happens, if you put yourself in a situation to get capped three times, you are not being... Like, if I was pounding on the door of a 55-year-old woman's room, she would know it was an emergency and she would not shoot me because I could make that clear while pounding on a door. Would you break into that door? No, I, I <laughs> in no sense if any like emergency am I going to pound through somebody else's door? Like unless it's like, you know, an like a hospital or something like that. There's no way you're going to force yourself into any area no matter how bad an emergency is. That almost sounds like more shady than it probably was. You know what I mean? Well, and so, of course, Bertha Franklin would end up going to court over this. But the court verdict would be a justifiable homicide. Well, of course. Even though there were questions about, like, what the Los Angeles morticians did. Maybe he was shot in the back. I don't know. You oh, know. one of those things. Yeah. Huh? And so there were definitely questions. But Sam Cooke would actually end up having two funerals. The first one, his body was flown to Chicago, you know, where he spent most of his childhood. Yeah, probably where he had most of his youth friends. There would be an estimated 200,000 fans there. Holy fuck. As well as friends and family gathered for the viewing on December 18th. It was at the Tabernacle Baptist Church where services would be performed by Revlin Clay Evans, who himself had been a member of the Highway QCs. And then a man named Mavis Staples would end up singing Old Rugged Cross in tears throughout the whole song, you know? Yeah. And so clearly he was loved. Yeah, and I I mean, that doesn't really... 200 people showing up to the funeral of a rapist doesn't make a lot of sense in my mind. But, you know, we do live in in a strange world, so... 
there is a weird idolization with pop stars and stuff like that. So yeah, exactly. So it, it definitely is possible, but uh, it's it's kind of one of those conflicting things. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt and say that they're he's probably a creep, maybe not a rapist, maybe. But of course, I'm not here as a judge and a jury, so uh, I don't know, bro. Well, and here's the thing: is still to this day, people are talking about whether he was you know, justifiably killed or not. I would say he's probably justifiably killed. When when you knock down the door of somebody else's private area, like, it's different than pounding on the door erratically. Many people have pounded on doors erratically, erratically where the door did not go down or come apart. You know what I mean? Like, That's true. You just got to remember this was in 64, you know, you got the civil rights movement going on. And so maybe a lot of people just looked at it as, a famous black man was killed, and then the police said there was no reason for it. You know? Yeah, no, There's absolutely. There's probably not a lot of facts getting out to the, you know, the public. Or maybe even there wasn't even a lot of facts collected in a lot of these situations. That could be true, too, because there was complaints about the police work that was done on it. Yeah. It so. was probably just like, oh, he broke down your door. Okay, cool. Uh, We'll... Yeah. Ship him off to the morgue, I guess. This crazy, this crazy dude tried to rape that girl and then tried to pound your door down. You shot him dead? Cool. That's <laughs> That'll be a good night. Later. Oh, he was a famous singer? Hmm. Yep. That sucks. That's a shame. Oh, yeah. He was in orgies? Yep. Sounds like, sounds like devil work. He's done. Definitely not a Christian boy. Yep. Secular music, I hear. <laughs> <laughs> it is still sad. Like, I, I can't, I can't fine one way or the other so i'll just put the caveat out there if he was wrongfully killed that is sad and i'm sad for him but if he was being a creep don't be a creep and you won't get shot by an old lady yeah that's why i put in the caveat of perhaps there's more to the story just because there are questions about how everything went yeah the legitimacy of everything kind of is called into question because it's all one-sided it doesn't really appear that a whole lot of witnesses were involved but after the funeral in Chicago, his body would be flown back to Los Angeles for another service the next day. And this would take place at Mount Sinai Baptist Church. And a woman named Bessie Griffin, who I guess is a gospel great. I don't know anything about her. Yeah, we haven't heard that name yet. No. We'll put it in the beep boop boop machine. Boop, 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 boop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was doubled up boop boops that time, guys. Apparently, she was so overcome with grief to sing at the funeral, so Ray Charles would step up and perform The Angels Keep Watching Over Me. Oh, that's such a cool story, though. Ray Charles is a badass. Probably another one we need to put in the beep boot machine. Yeah, we'll get to him. He's a little bit later still. We haven't quite crossed that threshold yet. Well, and so, you know, after he was buried and, you know, life started going on, one of his well-known protégés, Bobby Womack, ended up marrying Barbara just three months after his death. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Damn, dude. <laughs> just three months after the death? Three months. So they were probably touching each other before then. Oh, huh? yeah, I would oh, assume man. so. This is so unchristian. This is like the least Christian Christian people I've ever fucking heard. Actually, that's not really true. I mean, it, <laughs> no offense to any, any Christian people. Put your fingers in your ears for a second. Yeah, Christian people are like super immoral. They don't give a fuck. Like, <laughs> just as long as they can appear to be like good. Like, some of the Christian people in the world have been done some of the most terrible things in the world. Well, come on. 
Weren't the Crusades awesome? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we probably don't even have to go that far back, but this is not going to turn into like a bashing or anything like that. Like, I don't, I don't believe that your religion defines you as a person by any means. And I think that's just more of a reason why it, it becomes highlighted when Christian people do crazy stuff. Well, and this isn't even the craziest part about Barbara marrying Bobby Womack. And do you know who Bobby Womack is, by the way? No, I've never heard the name. Uh, You know the movie um, Jackie Brown? Yeah. You know the opening song, Across 110th Street? Yep. That's Bobby Womack. Oh, shit. That's a good jam, too. So what's the crazy thing? So Cook's daughter, Linda, would end up marrying Bobby's brother, Cecil Womack. Wait, what? Yeah. So Cook's... Wait, 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 what? <laughs> Cook's daughter, Linda, right, would marry Bobby Womack's brother, Cecil Womack. But, yeah, so so she would be her own niece? Is that how that works? <laughs> so her mom would be her own stepmom, I think, is the way it would be. Or no, no. no. Her, her mom, mom would be a step Her aunt? mom would also be her aunt. Yeah. That's fucked up. That is gross and disgusting and weird. <laughs> what the fuck? That's some weird, like... Uh. <laughs> well, the Cook family were so pissed off about this, apparently three of the Cook brothers would meet the couple in a Chicago hotel and beat the shit out of Bobby Womack. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. That's awesome. The rest but, of the Cook brothers rule. <laughs> <laughs> but if you thought the creepiness ended there... Oh, why? Why? What the fuck? According to Womack's autobiography, Midnight Mover, he would sneak out of his bedroom at night and carry on an affair with his stepdaughter, Linda. What the fuck? Are you serious? (laughs) Yeah. The one who's dating his brother? Yeah. Oh, my God. This is some hillbilly shit, bro. The one who married his brother, Yeah, the one who married his brother. Oh, what the fuck? This is some straight hillbilly. Like, what? Did this turn into some fucking, like, daytime television? (laughs) All of a sudden, they're white guys in Tennessee. It's it's Maury all of a sudden. What the fuck? (laughs) It's Maury all of a sudden. And you are not the father. (laughs) And you are not a Baptist Christian singer. (laughs) You are secular as hell. Oh, my God. Is there more? Well, and so this would, you know, obviously cause Barbara and Bobby Womack to get divorced. But, you know, Linda would still be married to Cecil, even though she would work often with Bobby Womack in the studio. Oh, really? Yep. Yep, I bet she did. But Linda would never speak to her mother again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. What the fuck? don't you love when i leave the fun surprises at the end for you oh my god that's the the best way to end that whole thing like we were going so normal and so boring but this is this just too much for me brother orgies when you're a gospel singer is normal and boring have we been doing this too long i think we have absolutely probably been doing this too long because yes i i wasn't impressed by the baptist christian or the, yeah the baptist uh, gospel singers having orgies god damn it ian i've grown cynical <laughs> oh is there anything else or do i need to just call these last thoughts now i got one more thing. Oh, okay, lay it on me. It's got to be good. Sam Cooke would posthumously be 
inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1986. Of course, always posthumously. The Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1987. Okay. The Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame in 2013. Uh Uh-huh. In 1994, he was honored with a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. You know, and then the biggest honor of all, Rolling Stone Magazine has him listed as both their 100 greatest artists of all time and greatest singers of all time. Oh, shit. Okay, so he's got some super accolades. Even oh, though, yeah. Yeah, so I think that pretty much just, that puts a whole, like, national perspective on it to where it, like, kind of makes his crimes look smaller. But, dude, if you were actually being creepy that night, that's fucked up that everybody still idolizes you. Well, and if he was being creepy that night, maybe there is kind of a sense of mass denial in it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's weird. And so now it's time for last thoughts. Ooh. Do you want me to go first or you want? You can go first. Okay. I get the first last thoughts of season six, huh? The honors are yours, bro. <sighs> well, boy, I mean, I, honestly, there's a whole lot of <laughs> low-hanging fruit for last thoughts of this episode, if I'm being completely honest. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna be, I'm going to go with my, uh, my instinct here, and I'm going to go ahead and say that I believe that it, it is very interesting that this man's whole reputation and his whole being as a person and how he will be remembered hinges on that one night. And how one night so much can really drastically change a situation. And the fact that, but but only the, not only the fact, like, the fact that he was claimed to have been something, you know what I mean? It's It went down on the records that he attempted to rape a woman and that he tried to, you know, be an, e, uh, an old lady. And that's what went down on the record. But he still ended up winning all of those accolades. It shows that what really went down that night and what goes down in the official record definitely have disparaging differences. Well, when you create music that really like cements into somebody's brain, you know, no matter what is said about them, you really just want to deny it and go, no, this is the music I hear. And this is the feeling that it gets me that it gives me. So it must be good. He must be good. And that that really is a classic perspective, now that you bring it up, of, like, the separation of artist and the art. Like, you can really like somebody's art. You don't have to appreciate that person's, person's moral perspective. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. I know there's a few artists out there that I'm a big fan of that are... Shit bags? Know, yeah. Bag, <laughs> bags of shit. Yeah, and you have to really separate the person from the art. Yeah, and if that's really what it comes down to, I think that is what it is. Art and the artist should really be separated to some degree. But I think there is always that, like, you know, solidity line. Like, we should, no matter how how good somebody's art is, if they turn out to be, you know, like, a really, really terrible, like, you know, Stalin genocide, like, tyranny guy, we should probably <laughs> not remember him as a great musician. But it's such a weird fine line, and it's strange to explore it. The more we do this, we almost come to the same situation where somebody in the last moments of their life does something super extreme that doesn't really get recorded clearly, and sometimes they're remembered as great people, and sometimes they're remembered as monsters. And it's almost, like, random. Huh, that's interesting. So I guess for my last thoughts is kind of along the same line where he had a ton of songs I've actually heard before and I never knew it was Sam Cooke, you know, and they're really good songs. Honestly, like you guys should check out these songs, but also keep this in mind. You know, they're just songs. It's just a form of art. And the person behind it, you know, might be cheating on his wife or, you know, having orgies 
that you would desperately be wanting to have if you're a man out there. But women like orgies too, Ian. Are you sure? I, I would assume because there has been women in orgies. I would assume that somebody there like that. I'm not. I'm not an expert. I've never even been to an orgy myself. I feel like it would just smell weird. I wouldn't really. I, I don't feel like I would be very sexy in an orgy. Yeah, but I feel like men dream about having an orgy more than women do. I might be wrong on that. But anyway, you know, no matter what his personal life is like, just enjoy the music itself because at the end of the day, as I've been learning more and more with this podcast, your heroes aren't always who you expect them to be. Yeah, never meet your heroes. It's always, almost always disappointing, and that's one of the worst parts about it. So, like, you really do. If you, if you like a song, you don't have to morally attach yourself to the person who's created the song. That's not necessary. And if we are your heroes, you don't have to meet us. All you got to do is like us on whatever platform you listen to us on. You know, give us all the stars that you can. And, you know, share it with your friends. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's all we ever really ask for is to share with your friends and, and spread the the beauty that is due. Check out this song. And uh, I'm so glad that we're making it now into season six and we're, uh, you know, going to crack away as we always do on whatever we can. But we've kind of taken off the gloves now. We're, uh, we're going to bounce around to the best stories rather than sticking to generations. And uh, Or in our cases, some sometimes a couple times a season, you know, some of our favorite artists that we haven't been able to cover yet. Yeah, exactly. Or, or yeah, all the things that we missed in the previous uh, seasons are going to get touched on too. So, and as always, if you guys have recommendations for artists, please hit us up with it. We love it. Uh, there's not really much else to say. I will see you all next week. We love you. Have a good night.